um, you know, African village uh, back then and so on. But this is a reality for many people, even today, in different ways. Uh, it's something that still happens every day, somewhere, somehow, some family member is telling a fellow family member that I want to play with you again. We're not going to be friends again. And it leaves them in a state of emotional distress. And um, it's so difficult when that happens. For example, between husbands and wives, when that happens, you know, a song that comes to my mind is a song that was done by some American country uh, singers, uh, those who do the genre of country music. Um, I like country music uh, and so on. And so uh, I, I listened to one of those songs and the song says, uh, I don't wanna play house. I don't who did that song. She takes the place of the mother to uh, a, like a four year old, it could be like four year old uh, girl. And then the songwriter says that today, I was sitting by the window in my house and apparently I was listening to what was going on outside as uh, my little daughter was playing, was playing with the boy from next door. And as they were playing, the boy says, let's play house, let's play house. But then it changed the mood for the girl. She immediately seized all that, the fun that was going on. I mean, she stopped all the, uh, that she was doing. And then she says, I don't want to play house. I don't want to play house. And then uh, the boy wanted to know, why don't you want to play house? Many boys and girls enjoy playing house. Why don't you want to play house? And then uh, the girl, the little girl says that, um, uh, I don't want to play house because it makes my mama cry. Because when she and daddy played house, my daddy said goodbye. I don't, and if that is the way it is done, please, I don't want to play house. And she's almost, you know, fighting back tears. She's choking as she's talking because of what a family has gone through. When dad said, I don't want to play with you again. And then just stormed out, maybe almost walking into the rain. And you went back, never looked, uh, you went away, never looked back, never came back. And so the little girl is left behind, traumatized and says, I don't want to play house. It makes my mama cry because when she and dad played house, my daddy said goodbye. And so uh, what the burden of our message uh, tonight is uh, a message, I mean, that uh, we can play together again as we used to do back then as children. Sometimes there were misunderstandings and uh, there were all those kind of situations, but uh, it would happen that sometimes you find yourselves playing together again with those people who once said, we won't, we won't be friends with you anymore. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 and 27 carries the key thoughts for what uh, the Lord has placed as a burden on my heart to share with us. And so the Bible says, therefore, uh, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Wow, that's quite a mouthful. You know, in these verses, these three verses, we are told, number one, that in our communication, in our interactions with one another, we must be transparent. We must speak truthfully. We must be honest 
in what we say, in what we do, in our interpersonal relations, we must be honest. Paul was talking in the context of the congregation of the church family at Ephesus, but the principles apply even in the context of our immediate families. So number one, how do we interact? How do we communicate with family members? God says uh, to us here through this uh, text that each one of us must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. You cannot just put off falsehood and then, I mean, the falsehood should be replaced with uh, truth-telling. And so we should speak the truth one to one another in the context of our families because we are all members of one body. And for now, we are focusing on the family. When we tell half-truths and white lies and whatever kinds of lies, whatever color the lies are, and we, we do that within our families. It is something that uh, militates against the family unity and it weakens the bond of uh, the family or the family bonds. So the Bible says our communication should act, uh, be uh, the kind that strengthens and ensures strong relationships within our families. And then it says, in your anger, do not sin. Sometimes when there are misunderstandings in our families, uh, I mean, anger is part of the, it can become part of the process. And the Bible is not saying anger or getting angry is sin. But the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin, which means there's a distinction that's being made between sin and anger. Anger is not sin. God says, in your anger, do not sin. In other words, uh, what does it mean? Do not sin. That simply means do not do things that are wrong, things that hurt others, things that uh, you will regret. In your anger, do not sin. Be responsible, even when you're angry. Be responsible with your actions. Be responsible with your words. Sometimes people say nasty things when they're angry. And then later on, when they cool off and people uh, ask them, how could you say that to mom? How could you say that to your wife? How could you say that to your own children? How could you say that to your husband? And at that time, that's why I say those things. That's why I did those things. The Bible is simply saying that process your anger. Your anger should be processed. You should still remain responsible, even when you're angry. And uh, someone said, speak while you are angry, and then you will make the best speech you will ever regret. Okay? So what it simply means is, sometimes the more emotional we get, the less rational we are. And so words that are spoken in those moments of anger may be deeply hurtful, and uh, it, they may be words that will leave to regret. And there may be words that may leave deep wounds and scars in the hearts and minds of family members. So the Bible says, yes, there are times when there can be misunderstandings, even in the family. But what we should always remember is that in your anger, in your uh, when you're not happy about something in the family, make sure that you do not say or do things that are wrong in the heat of the moment. That's what it means. In your anger, do not sin. And then it says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So in other words, conflicts must be resolved. Conflicts cannot just um, evaporate and disappear into thin air. They must be confronted. They must be resolved. And uh, 
people should be should have a way of finding each other so that we can play together again. So do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. That simply means that uh, as possible, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, um, if we stretch for long periods of time, we're not talking as family members. Uh, or even as husband and wife, we are not talking. Uh, and a whole week goes by and people are not talking. The Bible is saying you are actually tempting the devil to tempt you. The devil maybe was busy with other things and is doing his own stuff. But then he says, day one, you're not talking. Day two, day three, he says, mm, wait a minute. I think something is going on here. Now we are tempting him to tempt us. And so the Bible says, do not give the devil a foothold uh, by not resolving conflicts and going for extended periods of time without talking to each other, without being in good books with each other. We need to learn to play together again, even when we have, um, uh, you know, upset each other and things have happened. Now, there are three pillars of family happiness. Uh, the first pillar is effective utilization of the laws of speaking and listening. Effective utilization of the laws of speaking and listening. That's number one. Basically, effective communication. The way you talk and the way you listen. You know, listening is care. It has principles, you know. Talking has principles. It's not just articulating, you know, and making a sound through your mouth. That is talking. We need to follow the rules or the principles of talking so that we are responsible and careful with family members. And so that is number one. So communication is of paramount importance to uh, marital happiness or to family happiness and well-being. Number two, we need to take time for intimate conversations on a daily basis. Uh, that four is uh, a typo, not that kind of four, okay? Uh, there should be an R where there is that O, uh, that E. Uh, so taking time for intimate conversation. You know that many times in our families in the modern era, uh, people can be in the same space, in the same house, but they are they could as they could just well be uh, they could as well be miles apart or even uh, you know because people may be in the same space in the same house but not available to each other. Somebody's in the UK, but uh, the person they're actually connecting and chatting with is maybe in the Philippines or in Vanuatu or whatever places like you know, so. We need to take time on a daily basis for intimate conversations that bond, that strengthen our family bonds, taking time to bond with our children, taking time to bond with our spouses, taking time to bond with our families. I think one of the persons who gives us an amazing example in this was uh, Susanna Wesley the mother to John and Charles Wesley. And you people would know better because she lived in England there. And uh, I'm told that she had a total of 19 children. Of course, some of them didn't survive into adulthood, but she, had a, she was a busy lady with all these children to take care of. But we're told that every week she found some time that she set aside for every one of her children. You know, every one of her children. And she took time 
for intimate you know conversations and bonding with these children and so on and so on um she was a busy person and of course the results are telling the kind of children that she brought up if john and charles wesley are anything to go by by judging the kind of mother the kind of parent that she was some of us maybe we are single parents single mothers and fathers and whatever the situation may be we need to take time for intimate interactions and conversations with our dear ones our loved ones in other words we need to set sometimes when we unplug some families do have places where when they come home they put their phones in this one place switch them off and then just uh, take time to interact with family members you know and uh, because this is something that is so important this is the basic principle behind God giving us the Sabbath day, because it says periodically, once a week, I need time with you so that there's that bond. If God had simply said, oh, when, whenever you find time, that's when, uh, that's when you can come and worship me. I tell you, we would grow distant from our God. And so he created a block of time and said, this chunk of time is reserved. We can learn a principle from there that even in our busy schedules, we need also to block some time that we say, this is family time. We're not taking appointments. We're not, you know, uh, this is family time. I mean, sometimes some eventualities may disrupt and so on, but as a matter of principle, we need to have those blocks of time that we reserve for the family as a family time. We need that so that we keep on having this bond Let's, that should not be replaced by our phones, our computers, our televisions. We need time to unplug and connect with one another in our families. Otherwise, people can become perfect strangers while living in the same house or even sleeping in the same bed. People can become strangers. You don't even know what's going on with the other person because everybody's glued to some screen of one kind or another. Everybody's busy with their appointments and schedules and everything. Family should be prioritized. Our families should be prioritized. And so we need to take time for each other. And then number three, timeless resolution of conflicts in a constructive manner. Conflicts must be resolved constructively and timelessly. Conflicts must be resolved. Now, these are the three critical pillars for, uh, for family happiness, for family health and well-being. Effective communication, taking time to connect and bond, and also time to, I mean, we need to resolve our conflicts in a, in a constructive way and timelessly. What, what it means is our disagreements, our differences should not uh, put us apart for extended periods of time. Otherwise, resentment begins to build in and it replaces all those feelings of uh, love and affection. Uh, then, I mean, when that happens, we end up in a very bad space as families and as family members. So conflict is a reality. Conflict is a reality. Uh, for example, in the Bible, there are many families that are presented and that uh, also went through conflict. Cain and Abel, these were brothers, and uh, Cain actually murdered his brother, Abel. Abraham and Lot, there's a huge difference over which, who goes which side of the, uh, you know, uh, there was big conflict, especially among their shepherds, which then led to them parting ways. And then Esau and Jacob, these were also brothers, and they put each other through trouble, and they could have actually 
uh, killed each other had Jacob not decided to run away. And then we've got David's family. David's family, oh man, there were so much enemies except within his family. He had peace with the Ammonites, the Moabites. He had peace with everybody except with his family. And some of us today, we are in good terms with just about everybody else except our family members. And so sometimes when we do not uh, realize uh, what's going on, we may end up uh, fighting uh, even our family members. Jacob and Laban, they had their own disagreements. Even Jacob's wives, Leah and Rachel, they had their own fertility wars to see who is going to have to give Jacob more children than the other. And when they thought they were no longer giving birth, they recruited their maids into this fertility war that was going on between the sisters. So there are challenges and conflicts that uh, the Bible or testifies of that happened um, in, some in, the, in some of the families recorded in the Bible. What are some of the things that we usually fight over as people? Uh, number one is communication, then money, sex, children, and in-laws. These are the top five reasons why we have conflicts in our families. And by the way, with, uh, without good communication skills, chances of creating conflict are so high, okay? Without good communication skills, incidences of misunderstanding and uh, miscommunication are so high. But then when conflict happens, when there's conflict, when conflict occurs, for us to resolve the conflict, we good communication skills are a prerequisite. But since we do not have those good communication skills, and that is the reason why we ended up in conflict, now those uh, good communication skills are required to resolve the conflict that we caused because of poor communication skills. But because they are poor communication skills, the more we try to resolve, the more we may actually worsen the situation. So we can start out with a problem, uh, but it can escalate into a crisis. And sometimes we don't even know what happened, you know? Uh, so these are things that do happen, that do occur, even in families. So things like uh, communication, money, uh, sex, children, and in-laws. These are the top five reasons why people may eventually decide not to play with each other. And people decide to go their separate ways. Uh, okay, and so uh, what we need is to learn to manage, by God's grace, to learn to manage. We need to fight for our families. We need to do all that we can to make sure that we do not lose the families that God has given us. Uh, while we cannot completely eliminate conflict, we can minimize uh, and learn to handle it better when it does okay. We cannot completely eliminate conflict. Sometimes I, uh, you know, just um, uh, laugh with our friends and uh, tell them that uh, only in pastors' families is there no conflict. There is no conflict in pastors' families. Only tense moments of fellowship or only moments of tense fellowship. <laughs> well, that's a pastoral way of saying that even as pastoral families, we also encounter, uh, you know, conflicts. So, in which is what I'm characterizing as uh, moments of tense fellowship. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, so we cannot completely eliminate because of our backgrounds, because what some family members just being men and others being women. The way we look at the world and or process uh, information is different. Not simply because, I mean, so there are so many reasons why they may be, we may end up in situations of conflict. 
Of course, one of those could be uh, maybe poor communication skills, but there are so many other reasons. Maybe it could be temperamental differences. Some are sanguines and some are cholerics, others are phlegmatics and melancholies and all these kind of things. So all these can uh, work together uh, in one way or the other, we end up in a space or in a situation of conflict. Our family backgrounds may be different for those who are husbands and wives and so on and so on. So fighting, fighting among people who care about each other does not have to be destructive. In fact, it can be a highly constructive experience provided the people know how to fight. So I'm saying disagreements within your family should not be uh, something that destroys the family. If you know what you're doing and you care about each other, in fact, fighting or disagreeing, going through this can be a highly constructive experience. You may actually come out of that situation stronger and caring about each other much more than before the conflict occurred, provided we know uh, what to do and we have done it in the right way. Let me just talk about uh, some fighting styles, some styles that um, people we usually use as human beings when conflict does okay within our families. One of the most common styles is called the competitive style. Now this one, in the competitive style, conflict is perceived as a declaration of war. And the family member I'm in conflict with is seen as an enemy who has to be vanquished or neutralized by all means necessary and in the shortest possible time. So competitive style is a style that um, has high concern for self. Each of the people in the conflict have high concern for self and low or no concern for the other person. So it's my way or no way. It's my way or no way. It's just like in a war situation. In a war situation, each party or each side seeks to do whatever it is to quickly end the war by eliminating the enemy. So it's unfortunate when this happens within a family and we begin to see fellow family members, uh, children, our parents, our in-laws, or even our spouses, and we begin to see them as enemies that need to be eliminated and neutralized by all means necessary. When that happens, it's sad um, because it is like an autoimmune disease, you know? Uh, it is like, you know, an autoimmune disease is that situation where the body, because of something that has gone wrong, it makes the, the body gets confused or the immune system of the body gets confused and it begins to attack the organs of the body or to attack the itself. And uh, it's very difficult to cure or to help somebody who's going through an autoimmune disease. So that's what I'm simply saying, that we are all members of one body, according to the text that we read in Ephesians. And so when we have this kind of way of attacking each other and eliminating and trying to neutralize each other and trying to win in the conflict you know uh that's kind of like an autoimmune disease situation it is difficult to help such a situation and it's regrettable and the most regrettable part is that this is something that is so common among us as people and maybe driven by the um our egoistic selves our self-centered selves you know and so uh, you know, people that use this uh, approach to conflict are those kind of people who, when they think that, well, the issue has been resolved, they have talked over, finally, they found a way, they have talked over this issue, maybe people, we are already in bed, 
they some something comes to their mind and say, oh, I forgot a very powerful point, which I should have launched the missile to simply eliminate this person. And I hope they'll bring this issue again tomorrow. I just want to give them my peace of mind and they will never say this or do this to me again. You know, the person is actually itching that the matter be brought up again because they have one more missile that they forgot to launch against the perceived enemy who actually is a family member. Competitive style. So somebody may say, um, well, I, I thought you were going to wash the car like you said or like you promised. And then a person who uses competitive style, when, so that is say to them, they'll say, well, uh, well, I didn't wash the car. And so what's the problem? You said you were going to water the garden the other day and you didn't. And did I even mention it? So, oh, you're talking about watering the garden. You sent money to your mom without my knowledge. I only saw this message in your phone and so on. Do you see what's happening? This person is bringing, okay, you did this. So, oh, okay. I also know what you did and you did this and so end up at the end of the day they've got all these files of the wrong things that the other has done but none of those issues is resolved the issues keep piling that is competitive style then there's avoidance style avoidance style this kind of person there's law or no concern not much concern for both self and others and so people just say well I don't want to engage in it and so on and so on they just leave it like that then there's accommodating style the accommodators their key thing is peace at any cost but there can be no peace until people actually resolve the conflict there can be silence but not peace and so uh, uh accommodators they you know they may engage the matter they may say okay let's talk about this but they quickly capitulate they quickly throw in the towel they quickly give in and say okay anyway it doesn't matter we'll just do whatever you're saying we'll just okay never mind so there is um uh, you know the accommodators there's high concern for others and low concern for self and then we've got uh, the compromise style. This is now where people are listening to each other. They say, okay, I hear you. I hear, okay, I've not seen things uh, from that point of view and things like that. And so people come to an agreement. In other words, there are concessions that are made so that uh, people come to a point of finding each other so that uh, people can play with each other again. This compromise style is um, a, a something that we should, I uh, mean, you know, uh, try to live up to is something that we should try to live up to uh the competitive style oh man this one is just my way or no way avoidance style uh i mean it doesn't it kills intimacy this avoidance style it kills intimacy and brings resentment now this is where we want to end at this is the passport to conflict resolution this is the passport to conflict resolution. Now, what happens? There are about four stages in this. Now, the Shake plan, the concept is simple, but deep and profound and highly effective. The person who's not happy about something that's going on in the family, in the relationship, they should be allowed to share what it is that they're not happy with. And the person who's being told should care. You show care by listening. Okay? So it is... Uh, sharing and listening plan. This is the passport to conflict resolution. So the offended person should share using I message formula. I feel offended. I feel belittled. I feel hurt because of the words that you say to me uh, earlier in the day. And so they are using the I message formula. 
talking about how they feel about a specific behavior or something that is being done by a family member. It could be a husband, a wife, a son, a child, or mother, or whatever, in-law, uh, and so on. So if this person doesn't know how to use iMessage formula and they use you message formula, they can actually start a new problem. While they're trying to share a, a, their burden, they may actually end up creating a problem inadvertently. Because if they use the you message formula, the other person is going to be defensive because the you message attacks, it names, it shames. The other person will go into self-defense mode and they'll say, I'm not the only person doing wrong things here and everything like that. And before you know it, the thing spirals out of control. You end up in a place that you know, now you just bury your head in your hands and you're just mourning and crying uncontrollably. You lock yourself in the bathroom, in the bedroom, and you say, I wanted to resolve this issue. Now this is what has happened. And, you know, but sometimes you really had a valid point, but the way you brought it across could be the problem. You use the you message formula instead of the I message formula, which opens lines of communication because it is non-threatening. And then the person who is being told should actually show that they care by listening, even repeating what you think you heard the other person says, depending with the magnitude of the issue and how sensitive it is. If it's really an important issue, before you give your, your opinion or side of the story, okay, if I hear you correctly, you are saying that when I uh, made that phone call and said this and that and so on, uh, you felt, I mean, offended or whatever. The person may say exactly that's what I'm saying. Or they may say, no, 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 I, I think um, you, you didn't really get what, I, what I'm saying is, and then they may clarify what they are saying and so on and so on. Uh, so just the fact that you are concerned to actually hear them out and establish what the actual effects are on the ground, that mere effect actually shows that you care about that person listening is caring and then step um, number three acknowledge the pain the person may the pain may be uh misplaced or it may be coming out of a misunderstanding they may have taken an offense where no offense was given if that doesn't matter the fact is the person is telling you that i couldn't even eat my food i couldn't eat my lunch because i was just crying i couldn't even concentrate at work because i was just crying i was thinking about what happened in the morning or, so, or what happened last night and so on acknowledge their pain that they're in pain rightly or wrongly that's something else. But the fact is the person is in pain. That pain, that, I mean, needs to be acknowledged. And acknowledged is not like, acknowledging is not admission of guilt. It is acknowledging that the person is in pain. That shows deep care and love. That shows deep care and love. And then stage number four, we then go to resolve with clarification. Uh, we said, no, no, actually, maybe the person took an offense where offense was never meant to be given. Or it can be through, uh, so clarification may resolve the issue, or it can be through an apology, through an apology. I'm so sorry, my love. I didn't mean to do it that way. I didn't think it would come across to you in that kind of way, and so on. And so now we are, we are, we've gotten to the point of resolution. Let me tell you what sometimes happens in many, in some families. Somebody's hurt or they're hurting they're hating over something. They try to share and say, okay, uh, may we talk about something like this? And then the person they are trying to tell says, oh, please, I think my day was so peaceful. I don't want to get into fights with nobody. Please just leave me in peace and so on and so on. And the person walks away. 
refusing to hear somebody out when they are crying out or when they are hurting, it is more painful than the hurt they wanted to share in the first place. Because what the person is telling you by not listening to you is that I don't care. You may just go and jump into the nearest swimming pool. I don't care. And being told that you, they don't care when you are hurting, it is deeply hurtful. It hurts when that happens. Oh, sometimes some, someone wants to share, uh, please may we talk about this. Then the person who's being told just says, sorry. But I, I wanted to, I've already said, sorry. What else do you want to hear? I've already said, sorry, maybe you're looking for trouble now. I mean, why don't you accept my sorry? And so on. Sorry is good. What has happened is the person has not even shared. You didn't even listen. You didn't acknowledge their pain. You have gotten, you have gone to resolution. That sorry is painful. It is hurtful. It's, it's a way of just shutting you up and telling you, I don't care. It's deeply hurtful. We need to look at ourselves, to introspect and be honest with ourselves. How are we resolving our conflicts in our families? You know, when I was in, in, in primary school, when I was in primary school, uh, as we do our like uh, maths problems, uh, solving maths problems, the teacher was not so much interested in the correct answer. There were more marks in the working that you would show than in the answer that you would give. So if for some reason you ended up with the correct answer, but you didn't show how you worked the problem, she would not mark your work. She would simply write on, on top, on, on the top, at, at the top of the page and say that show working, no marks were given, even if the answer was correct. So this is the same thing. There are those who say when somebody's trying to share, then they just say sorry. Okay, sorry, that's a correct answer. But how did we get to sorry? How did we get? That's the correct answer. And we're happy for that. But how did we get there? There are more marks in the working of the problem. In the let the person share, you need to listen, you need to acknowledge, and then we can get to the correct answer. But if the correct answer comes out of thin air, we don't even know how you got to your sorry. It is hurtful. It is unacceptable. That sorry is, I mean, I mean, it's it's deeply hurtful. So we need uh, to be aware of such things. And brothers and sisters, let's bring this to a close. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 4 through 9. God says, all these things that I teach you when you're talking to the Israelites, may you teach them to your children, pass them on to your own children. My burden, brothers and sisters, sometimes we wait until it is too late. Children get out of our homes, out of our houses. As they go away, never having learned these interpersonal skills, uh, like communication, conflict resolution. Before long, they are married. You know, to get a driver's license right here in my country, and I believe in every other country, people have to go through a lot of, you know, going to the driving school, you read the theory of driving, you then go through the practice of driving, and then you are tested until they are satisfied that this person is uh, a safe uh, road user, okay? If they use a vehicle on the road, they are not a danger to themselves and others. That's when a driver's license is finally issued. But look at a marriage license. In many countries, you don't need to show anything. You just walk into that space. You come out of that place with your marriage license. 
And so, is it any wonder that there are many wreckages on the highway of marriage, and many families are in, uh, in, you know, in disarray because of these kind of things? And God says, these things teach them to your children. Let's not wait for them to be taught by other. I mean, many people are entering into marriages and beginning families without the necessary, the prerequisite. Our skills at the end of it all we need jesus in our hearts in our lives it's not just knowing these concepts that can bring transformation it is god and jesus within our hearts who can bring about the transformation the willingness to do that which is right and good even for our family members oh yes we can play together again I remember Barnabas and uh, uh, Barnabas and Paul when they had a big disagreement over John Mark and they went their separate ways. But what pleases me is that sometime later you find Paul writing, I mean, Paul together with Barnabas and Paul affectionately writing about John Mark, the same guy whom he had said, no, I'm not going to play with him again. So, uh, and we find Paul saying that only Mark is with me. I'm in prison and Mark is so helpful to me. I'm saying, brothers and sisters, may God help us. May God bless us. Whatever challenges, whatever uh, problems we may go through, may God help us to resolve them timelessly and amicably and also to teach our children these principles. We teach by theory, but also especially through demonstration, when we demonstrate these uh, principles, but only when Jesus is resident in our hearts. May God bless us. May God be with all our families. Whatever your family is going through, I pray that the Lord will visit you in a special way. And may we capacitate our children. It's not too early to teach them that even if there's disagreements, people can learn to play together again. May God bless us. Amen. Amen.
Let us close our eyes in prayer. Our kind and most gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the uh, gift of life and the time that we've had, the music that has been rendered, the families that are presented, represented uh, here. Lord, you know our weaknesses, you know our challenges and our struggles within our families. Our prayer and our request of you is that, Lord, you may help us to resolve our conflicts. It doesn't give a good witness to the world and even to our children. It's not a good legacy when our families get uh, destroyed because we have not resolved our conflicts. I just pray that you may help us to find it in our hearts to forgive each other, to ask for forgiveness when we have done wrong and to find it in our hearts to forgive when we have been wronged and somebody saying, I'm sorry. And I pray that, Lord, you may help us, having internalized these principles as adults, that we may also impart and share with our children, helping to prepare them for whatever the years ahead may bring. I just pray that you may be with us all and commit all the families represented here before your throne of grace. May you meet us all at our various point of needs. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, we pray, even during these Sabbath hours, may we receive your choicest blessings. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray now and forevermore. Amen. 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 Um, thank you. Thank you so much, um, Doctor, for that wonderful message. Indeed, a timely message. And we've been learning so much. And I think today was just um, the icing on the cake, much needed. Thank you so much, um, everyone who's still gathered here up to now. And I pray that God is going to grant us um, the Sabbath blessings that um, have come with this Sabbath. And just um, a memory verse to go with, uh, we can uh, look at James 1, verse 22. That tells us to be doers of the word and not just hearers because we deceive ourselves when we are just hearers. Um, most of us have been here since Saturday, listening to these sermons, listening to these messages. How I pray that we are going to be those Christians that are able to put into practice what they have heard. Let us not just listen and forget. Let us put to use the knowledge we have actually attained. Um, with that said, I hope that we are going to uh, rest in this Sabbath day. Let us not carry on the burdens of the week. Let us just rest. We sometimes rest our bodies, but our minds are far away. We are still thinking of the cares of next week. This is the end.